Welcome to Risk Watch, a podcast brought to you by VCheck Global that sheds light on emerging compliance and due diligence issues affecting private market investors, financial institutions, and global corporations. I'm your host, Alex Soren. On this episode of the podcast, Daniel Wen, a member at Miller & Chevalier, came on the show to discuss the new Foreign Extortion Prevention Act that was signed into law by President Biden in December 2023. The FEPA was designed to prevent extortion by foreign officials and criminalizes the act of foreign officials demanding bribes, which addresses a potential gap in the FCPA. You can find a link in the show notes to a recent alert that Miller and Chevalier published on the FEPA, as well as a link to Daniel's bio and contact information. I had a great time talking with him, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, we're live. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. So can you provide an overview of what the FEPA is and why it was introduced given the existence of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, the FCPA? Yes. Over the years, as the FCPA became enforced, a lot of people were concerned about the gap in the statute or the kind of the limitations in the statute for going after corrupt officials. And that was intentional originally. They didn't want to make it more complicated in including and authorizing the DOJ to go after officials of other countries, which could make all of these enforcement actions even more complicated. So the original statute basically said officials are off limits. And now that doesn't mean there has been zero enforcement action against foreign officials. They, the DOJ, especially recently, has been quite active in using money laundering statutes to go after any foreign officials who are using the banking system of the United States for collecting and, and holding the proceeds from bribes. And especially that's true for Latin America and, um, and like uh, Venezuela. There's a number of, of Venezuelan-related prosecutions there. Mm-hmm. And there has been a number of enforcement actions where the DOJ is going after assets, usually real estate. So, you know, very nice houses in the D.C. area, in California, have been subject to forfeiture by the DOJ. And they've also gone after bank accounts. So whether it's in New York or Ireland or other places in the EU, they've had forfeiture actions. But in general, under the FCPA itself, to get back to the main point, the foreign officials and anybody in their circle have more or less been off limits. And so FCPA enforcement has focused on the people who paid the bribes, often referred to as the supply side, and the demand side has been left kind of unregulated from the U.S. perspective or from another perspective. It's sort of, they're saying that is a, the demand side is something that the other country needs to handle and is best suited to handle. You know, that was in the 1970s when the statute was passed. Now, 40 plus years later, they're saying there's a lot of countries where they don't enforce it and they don't care. (laughs) You know, there's never going to be any enforcement. And so there's a lot of officials who are able to get proceeds in countries or places where they can move the money relatively freely. They can continue to live their lives and not be subject to repercussions. And so this is this is an effort to ratchet up the pressure on those folks as well. Got it. So if I'm looking at the FEPA versus the FCPA, it really seems that the FEPA is designed to go after foreign government officials or anybody who else who falls under this umbrella, which you know we'll get to, versus the FCPA, 
which is meant to go after U.S. peoples and companies that engage in in bribery. Regardless, if on the other side somebody says, you know, if you want this project, you're going to have to you're going to have to bribe me. Right. And with and Congress, I think, in working with the different stakeholders, tried to keep that boundary clear. And so they don't want FCPA enforcement actions to now be a larger umbrella that will include the foreign officials directly. And so now that's a bit complicated because obviously they're, they are going to be included in the umbrella of the facts and they're going to be essential. And so if there are enforcement actions in the next five years, they will spin off presumably from publicly known investigations of companies that are, are subject to the FCPA and have their own resolutions. Mm-hmm. But who exactly is doing that prosecution remains to be seen. Is it going to be the same FCPA, FCPA unit? Is it going to be MLARS, which handles like money laundering and, and a lot of the foreign official activity? Is it going to be some other part of the DOJ? That's one issue. And as we can talk about, they they intentionally did not add this to the FCPA, the, the statute itself. They used a different statute, the domestic corruption what's previously been known as the Domestic Corruption Statute, Section 18 U.S.C. 201. And they also made clear that this is not intended to sort of blend into FCPA enforcement actions. So the supply side, mm-hmm. and we want to keep it that way, and we want the machinery to keep working the same as it is, but we want a separate machine, so to speak, to go after the demand side. That's interesting. Can you touch on the significance of some of the amendments to the FEPA that were put into the National Defense Authorization Act in in December, mainly on how it it applies to not only foreign government officials, but other other people as well? Yeah, I'll step back. One really interesting thing that people were talking about was why, why is it not an amendment to the FCPA, which deals with public officials and has its own definition? And why is it an amendment to Section 201, which is generally for domestic bribery? And people may know it largely from the enforcement action against Governor, former Governor McDonald from Virginia, where there was a big enforcement action against him and his wife and ultimately led to a Supreme Court appeal and a reversal, at least on some grounds, and, and narrowing of the statute. So why would they use Section 201? And we had an ABA event with uh, representatives from Transparency International and the Center for Corporate Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, CREW, and who had both been important advocates in getting this passed, along with a, you know, a kind of a broad spectrum of folks, including the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, who wanted this passed. So, and we asked that question, or some, you know, that question came up, and they said, which was very interesting, was that they didn't want to make this an FCPA amendment because if they opened it up with other folks who care about the FCPA and who may not think highly of the FCPA and have all sorts of criticisms, then the FCPA could get sort of changed and, and perhaps, even, you know, these are, these are not their words, but even like mutilated or, you know, transformed in a negative way. And so they didn't want to touch the FCPA itself mm-hmm. and they focused on this other statute. So what's really interesting, which, which you hinted at in your question, is that they went to Section 201 and they defined public officials or foreign officials differently than the FCPA. 
and it's not immediately clear. It's not like, um, here's a list of who qualifies as an official under the statute for prosecution. It's sort of a layered references. So they, they refer to other sources. And so it hasn't been a lot of, very clear to a lot of folks, but they, in addition to who the people who are officials under the FCPA, like you would know, like ministry of defense or transportation minister or CEO of state owned oil company. Okay. Those people are all obviously public officials still. In addition, it's basically their circle of influence. And so a lot of times in these corrupt situations, you, you won't be dealing with an official directly, but you'll be dealing with a close relative. So maybe a brother, a child, an adult child, or even a juvenile child sometimes on paper uh-huh. or, or a parent or something like that. And so under this statute, all of those folks who are immediate family members are also considered officials and could be prosecuted under this if they met all the other elements. In addition, you know, we've seen numerous fact patterns where somebody is an official and they have a surrogate who's, who's under the statute language is, is, con- would be considered a close associate. So a number of companies, Biblicon, Telia, MTS in Russia, they all had enforcement actions for Uzbekistan, where Golnara Karimova was the daughter of the president, and she was also an official herself under, under the U.S. definition. But she had a number of companies that were set up with, you know, someone who was not a relative, who was like uh, a 20-something fashion fan, and sh- this person set up various entities under the FIPA, and this new provision under Section 201, not, if we were to go back in time, not only could Golnara Karimova be prosecuted, but also the close associate who agreed to be the surrogate for various entities that were the vehicles for Karimova to receive the funds. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, to recap, it's not just officials, or, or, or to put it differently, officials includes the officials themselves, plus their immediate family members, plus their close associates. And so I think it's real. It's a lot broader and more expansive than people might appreciate because anybody who's sort of a, a middleman in these, in these countries where corruption might be active are now subject to prosecution in the U.S. if they travel into a country that extradites to the U.S., so am I right in understanding that it kind of seems like while, while the FEPA is, is separate now from the FCPA instead of it just being a clause in, in the FCPA, it's just kind of like a more direct tool to go after corruption and bribery versus being limited to the, the legal definitions defined in the FCPA? Yes and no, in the sense of you could, you could have a situation, for example, where a company... Like, let's use this, the UK right now with, with Gemfields, where they basically alerted the authorities in Europe. I think it was Switzerland and then the UK that basically they were having negotiations with the government of Madagascar and they were concerned that the um, chief of staff for, I think, the president was making some overtures that seemed improper. And what happened was they ended up having a meeting in London where one of the UK enforcement agencies had somebody undercover sort of handle that meeting and run the meeting and collect evidence of an improper request. 
and basically they arrested them. They arrested the chief of staff as well as um, like an intermediary kind of a consultant, I think, on the spot in, in London at the time. So to use similar facts, now under the FIPA, they could basically... There, there's going to be no enforcement action against the company because they received the demand and they did everything right and uh, they didn't move forward. And so you could you could imagine scenarios in the U.S. where companies are able to report these things and the DOJ, once if they get up and running on this and they're serious about it, that they're bringing actions on a, enforcement actions on demands alone when there's no FCPA investigation or enforcement action that really materializes because there's no agreement to pay or actual payment. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I think it's interesting that basically even making a demand can lead to an enforcement action now. And so I think the idea and the hope is that foreign officials know about this. And as a result, you know, it has a chilling effect on their request for, for bribes. Mm -hmm. And there's, it's still like interesting because there's so much overlap between the two. So like yeah. if, we were, if we were to look at a hypothetical real world scenario now of what would constitute FIPA versus the FCPA, it's interesting because I'd have to imagine there's plenty of FCPA cases where somebody does make, you know, even if it's a veiled demand for a bribe and then the company yeah. you know, decides to engage with it, that would have fallen under the FCPA previously still. Am I correct in that assumption? And now that would be considered FIPA? Well, I think it, a lot of it, it's, it is confusing. And I think a lot needs to be sorted out because they're, they're using a lot of terms, similar terms, but they're defining them differently. And, and there also are different jurisdictional limitations. So on the jurisdiction, they have made clear that it is obviously, it is supposed to be an extraterritorial law. So it's supposed to go after foreign officials who generally would be considered outside the reach of the, of the, um, you know, usual enforcement activity of the U.S. regulator. But they still need to meet certain elements. And in particular, they still need to meet requirements of using the means of interstate commerce. And, you know, there could be all sorts of situations where there's FCPA cases but the officials or their close associates or their family members never really engaged with the U.S. And so they're safely kind of outside, still outside the jurisdictional reach. But there are FCPA cases because payments were made by issuers, republicly listed companies, or other companies that, whether they're domestic concerns or companies kind of that aren't public but are based in the U.S. And, and use the U.S. commerce or other companies that kind of came through or had people based in the U.S. or, or otherwise used the U.S. Um, banking system for the corrupt payments. So it's a lot to be determined, I think. So in other words, people should not assume that for every FCPA case, there's necessarily going to be officials who are within the jurisdictional reach of the DOJ for enforcement action. Got it. Okay. And that's where FIPA comes in. Yeah. And I think in, in the alert that we did for our firm, we kind of included one example where if the foreign official, you know, summons 
the company or its representatives to a meeting within their home country and basically slides across our demand at the table, they themselves have never used the uh, the means of interstate commerce in the U.S. They they haven't they haven't sent an email through U.S. servers. They haven't like made a phone call to the U.S. They haven't um, you know maybe there's other ways that they set up the meeting where prosecutors could find a connection. But in general, if they keep everything in their country, there's they're relatively safe from prosecution under the FIPA, even though you know that company then takes that demand and might route it through, might already be subject to the FCPA because they're an issue, they're employees of an issuer, or might route it through the US in some way that creates FCPA jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Are there any changes to the enhanced due diligence process that you'd recommend to address the FEPA versus the FCPA, or does it still more or less, you know, work for what companies have been doing to to mitigate their third party risk? Yeah, I think from a compliance perspective overall, I don't think it changes things significantly. I think that's the that's the key headline, and, and companies should keep doing what they're doing. There are some tweaks, or there are some points of emphasis, I would say, which is to you know, we talked about if if in the in the course of due diligence, you know, the types of complicated due diligence that you and I will see, a lot of times you end up in dealings with people who are rumored or known to be close associates of officials or family members of officials. And I think this does solidify some, it makes it more of a basis for compliance folks or legal folks within a company to say, this is... It's obviously serious if we're dealing with an official of a, or, or, or sorry, a relative of a government official or a close associate. Mm-hmm. But it's not just me saying that as a compliance professional or a legal professional based on enforcement actions and my reading of the risk situation, but it's also a statutory risk for us and or for them to be involved in this situation. And it's not just the FCPA, but there's also the F- EPA or FIPA that that complicates the risk. So I think that's that's one situation where folks might be able to use the FIPA or Section 201 in these due diligence reviews. That makes a lot of sense. So look, this has been really interesting and uh, I appreciate you coming on again to, to discuss with us. For anybody interested, there'll be a, a link in the show notes to the alert that you co-authored on, on the, the law firm's website, um, as well as a link to your bio for um, anybody that, that wants to get in touch and could use your help. Great. Thank you, Alex. I enjoyed it. All right, take care. Thanks.